Colm Larkin, what is your favourite game? My favourite game is Baldur's Gate. four of us kids we got a zx spectrum so i think it was like 83 84 so i'd have only been four or five well i had two older brothers and we were mad for getting games for that so manic minor games like that but then more advanced games like elite was out on the spectrum stuff like that really got me into games so it was kind of it was before consoles it was that microcomputer like rage was the first time you could have home computers you plugged them into a tape player and your your tv and you played cassettes to um that had games loaded on them um and they were all written in basic on the zx spectrum which was really quite simple to learn and the zx spectrum was basically like looked like a keyboard the whole computer just looked like a keyboard and it had above all the letters basic commands so it's like go to or, or you know basically all this programming language and magazines at the time, including game magazines that have game reviews, say, like a ZX Spectrum game magazine, would also have loads of code in the back, mm. like three pages, and you could type it all in, and you'd get your own game. So we got really into, um, you know, playing games, but also trying to modify these these little games that came in magazines and make our own. Um, so I think it's also the, the kind of reason I got into making games. Now, there's a big old gap between then and when I actually started making games. Um, but I think that was the reason. So it was kind of, mm. let's say I'd gotten a, a Super Nintendo instead. I don't think I'd be as into to creating stuff. So we, we got a Spectrum. Um, and, then, and then from sort of that era of the sort of like NES or SNES and the Sega systems and all that there, like, did you get into uh, any of those? I knew about them, you know, friends and cousins and stuff had them, um, got to play them. The Super Nintendo in particular I thought was amazing, you know, like, this was like a few years after that Spectrum, but you know, things like Street Fighter and stuff were, were incredible. It's kind of like the first time you could have an arcade experience back at home. Um, but for us, we kind of transitioned into a PC. So we had a, a 486 in the early 90s and that I got to play games like Doom was incredible um, and you know RPGs um, XCOM was huge for me I was really into that um, and that like those PC games the first Warcraft um, June 2 which were like one of the first RTS's mm. um, and then Baldur's Gate was actually late nineties. Yeah. Um, by then, by then we had a a better PC, and I was uh, I was in college at the end, around the time Baldur's Gate came out, studying computers. Mm. So it's it's fair to say that being on PC anyway sort of helped sort of 
you're more of a PC gamer anyway. Than yeah, than yeah. So, so there's a whole style of games that I was, uh, you know, that came onto PC. Nowadays, you know, generally speaking, if you're on PC or console, you can play 95% of the same games. Back then, there were, there were whole genres that only existed on PC. So point and click back then didn't go to console. So, uh, you know, Warcraft 2 was like mid-90s PC only. Uh, and then there were console games that didn't make it to PC. So Final Fantasy games were just on consoles. So you, you definitely had this different like channel of games and genres that um, you'd be exposed to. And yeah, in our house, we were definitely PC first. Um, you mentioned the likes of, you know, elite, like big, massive, bombastic um, games in their own right. And Baldur's Gate would definitely be one of them anyway, uh, or at least another one of them anyway. Like, what other sort of stood out for you anyway from that sort of time in that sort of adolescent PC gaming time? Yeah, so Elite was interesting because it was, I think it was out on Commodore and then got probably backported to the spectrum so the spectrum like could barely show like lots of colors um and elite was just these line like kind of like triangles to represent spaceships in space it actually really worked well on the spectrum like our our spectrum actually is h key stopped working i think that was for hyperdrive and elite you know we we played it so much Back then, there was a lot of taking turns with your siblings. So you'd sit and you'd watch, wait for, you know, your go. Mom says it's my turn <laughs> at the computer now. <laughs> exactly. How, how long, how many hours did you put in the elite? Can you remember? No clue. Like, luckily, the Spectrum didn't, didn't record it. God. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't want your parents seeing, seeing how many hours you put into games when you're in, in your early teens. Definitely not. That's, 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 that's probably... A good point. <laughs> I remember another game from from Spectrum was uh, Hero Quest, mm. which I actually had the board game, and it got me into a whole like hobby of, of miniatures and and stuff like that. But the I was very excited by the the like digital board game of Hero Quest, even though it's not mm. that good, uh, and that made it to Spectrum. Yeah, it was like a faithful adaption of the of the board game, but without any of the fun aspects of the board game, you know. Mm your friends so digital board games nowadays are much more interesting they don't just recreate it exactly if it's going to be digital mm. like what's considering this this shows i'm always basically about digital games video games in the tr traditional sense i'll ask this anyway like what sort of digital board games have sort of been stood out for you in that way anyway so much more recently um looking at stuff like gloomhaven kind of like a modern day hero quest and it's a really cool board game i'm playing very slowly that has all these legacy changes where you're kind of opening hidden packs as you progress through the campaign and making making kind of changes to your playthrough based on it and their digital adaption is looking at that but also doing stuff like having kind of more uh more roguelike elements to it so more about playing with the systems not necessarily about playing through a campaign with your exact four friends, mm. which makes a lot more sense for digital. So I always had a kind of love of games made, like kind of tinkered as a, as a child, really, with that spectrum, making stuff with basic, then forgot all about it. Um, 
went and studied computers in in university and then went got a job not in games and there wasn't really a games industry in ireland this would have been i finished university in 2002 and it it seemed like i'd never heard of any any game making companies in ireland at the time otherwise i probably would have been interested um but I wasn't so driven to, you know, leave the country and look for games elsewhere because there's definitely loads happening in the UK and obviously the USA. Um, it was a few years later, like the late, so around 2008, 2009, I thought, ooh, maybe I can make a game because I got into Flash games. So Flash games had a big resurgence then, um, Congregate, Newgrounds, loads of people were making uh, free Flash games and they were getting better and better. And then um, the, you could start getting paid for them through these little sponsorships, small amounts of money. And I tried to make a Flash game, and it took took me five years to basically not make anything, to not release anything. So I had two slowly going nowhere prototypes over that time. Then I found Game Jams. And I took part in a thing called One Game a Month. And One Game a Month uh, actually gave me the feeling of progression that I was missing. So I actually finished really really small and rough prototypes, game jam level games, but I finished a whole bunch of them in a year. And that, that gave me a lot more confidence back and the feeling of actually finishing something and sharing it. So I ended up taking one of those prototypes and deciding to make a real game out of it. And that's what became my first commercial game, Gilded Engineering. Hmm. So kind of game prototypes 2013 and Gilded Engineering released in 2015. And I gave up my job in tech in 2014, just mm. to just to go, go kind of unpaid making Gilded Engineering. And then from that became uh, Gambrinius. Yeah. So we were lucky, I guess. It was quite successful. Um, I teamed up with a few people, kind of in the lead up to finishing Gilded Engineering, um, and from release, we were basically done well enough we could start paying everyone so it was three people then a couple years later went to five people we're still five people now and we made it we made a second game card apocalypse favorite game Baldur's Gate Baldur's Gate Baldur's Gate let's let's go shall we as the, as the kids say let's fucking go as the kids say so um, it's a isometric RPG with at the time groundbreaking graphics that if you look at now look like a joke which is always the way when you revisit your your old games but I was blown away with the graphics when I first played it and it uses D D like A D and D was called second edition. Yeah. So basically this advanced D D. Yeah. yeah. So this set of rules that I had been playing Dungeons and Dragons with. So I, I knew them so well. And then here's this computer game using all those exact same rules so I could get really 
really into it basically and you know min max to my heart's content and it mm. did a lot of things that a lot of you know rpgs almost have to do now so for example all the recruitable companions so you make you make one character but you adventure with a party of six characters and all the other characters you find around on your adventures basically and you find way more than five extras there's probably like 20 so you're kind of picking who you who you find interesting or whose kind of pre-made character classes complement what you want in your party and that certainly at the time for me that was novel now it seems like almost every rpg has to do that you have to have companions and you have to have more than you need and you have to pick from them you have to make friends with them and have they were really good the characters were great and they were all voiced now not not fully voiced but they had all their various barks and battle cries were voiced, which mm. for a game at the time was really, really good. Mm. Um, the thing I sort of want to pick out on in terms of Baldur's Gate, anyway, at least starting here, is that... Oh, excuse me. Is that Baldur's Gate had two sort of sagas. Um, the Ballspawn saga, which is the main series, one, two, and three, coming from Larry, and we'll talk of three much later on. Yeah. And there was also um, Dark Alliance as well. It's kind of um, action RPG games, right? Yes, but that's right. Did they then lead on to essentially Dishonored? Or am I got, I've got the wrong studio there. Uh, no, you're thinking of... Are you... No, well, I mean, like, Dishonored was arcane, I don't know. I'm googling here. But, in terms of hack and slash, it wasn't first person hack and slash, anyway, like arcane. Yeah. So, like, my... my this is me holding my hands up here. My experience of Baldur's Gate is admittedly very limited. Because, <laughs> um, like, I've I've seen what's coming with free from Larian and it looks amazing, but I don't know if I'm I'm playing I'm ready to play that just yet until it comes out of early access. Um, but I will say, Dark Alliance feels a lot more up my street as someone who has not played D and D, whether virtually or even in a tabletop setting, uh, because it's a more traditional video gamey type thing whereas the ball spawn saga and therefore the mainline series is more in line with um the turn-based rule set turn-based rule set very much so yeah which was a huge selling point for me so for me so for to many players if you jumped in now to particularly Baldur's Gate 1 from 99 you'd be turned off after a moment you know this your your player character dies if you, you turn around quickly you know um, particularly when you start out and you have to pause and cast spells pause and, and you know it's this whole like complicated rule set and to do well in it you kind of need to understand the rule set of D&D and min-max your character a bit and um, you know match up with the the right armor and the right kind of weapons and the right like spell buffs to, to, to get your character just right but all of that was like inherently natural to me because they use a, like a Dungeons and Dragons rule set I was already so familiar with. So for me, it was it was magical to get this like digital playground to min max D and D rules in. And and you'd said to me just before we started uh, recording here um, that you'd played a lot of D and D while you were young with your with your siblings, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, 
have two older brothers and they had this exact rule set of, of Dungeons and Dragons and I got to play with them. So that's where this kind of love and love of D&D came from. That fed straight into mm. getting to play very much Baldur's Gate. There were D&D games before that. Yeah. Like, they seem to be, you know, so like early 90s, Eye of the Beholder. They were more like they used the setting. They, did, yeah. they didn't use the rule set. So this was really interesting to me when it came out. Like, we basically had full D and D combat and leveling. Mm. Mm. Like this was. Uh, would it be fair to say this was the first game that truly used the rule set more than sort of leaning on some of the lore than anything. I think so. Yeah. Mm. Um. And again, like it, co- like it comes back to it using the sort of modified second edition of AD&D anyway um, like how did you sort of find well obviously because you have that experience playing D&D back in the day like you must have talked to it like a Dr. Dr. Oh yeah yeah it was very exciting so I I found I I still have the the box of CDs the like boxed PC game here and I looked at it and it has a 150 page manual you know so I'm, I remember when I bought that. I was, remember when manuals were a thing back yeah. in games? Jesus. So it's not just like a reference. It's like all the lore, all your, like 30 pages of all the spells of D&D. You know, it's all kind of stuff like that. But I remember buying the game in Dublin, basically, and then getting on the train to go home and just getting to read the manual was already fun. Hmm. So, yeah, I was very excited to play it when I got to play it. Whereabouts in Dublin did you buy it? Uh, hmm. Good question. <laughs> I'm just sort of more curious than anything. There used to be a, a Virgin Mega Store right on right on the Liffey. Uh, it's long gone. Could have been in there. Um, tell me about your character. What what exact race, class, and alignment were you in Baldur's Gate anyway? Wow, I haven't thought about that in a long time. I replayed it quite a few <laughs> times, so I definitely would have made a few different characters. Um, okay, well, talk to me a few about that. I've definitely made, like, a, an archer ranger a few times. I can't remember if there's a paladin in Baldur's Gate 1. Can you be a paladin? That's definitely a, a, a playstyle I would throw in. I know in Baldur's Gate you get a, you get a your very first companion is a thief. Which is good because in D and D you sort of need a thief in your cl- in your party, and that's what that's why they did that. So no matter what you pick, well, here's a thief as your first companion, so you can you know detect traps, for example. Um, which meant I don't bother making a thief. You know, you've got one from the get go. Hmm. Well, there is a guide here for a pa- the paladin class in okay. the enhanced edition so I'm assuming you had you, you could play as a paladin yeah I can look in the manual <laughs> confirm confirm my suspicion was it there in this edition um, some of the characters were very memorable um, Minsk is like the the two handed fighter you, you get pretty pretty early on I, I almost always had him in my party because he has he has like a, a a hamster he carries around. It like uses up one of his slots, but it's always there. And he he yells about it. The hamster is called Boo. So like one of it, one of his voice lines is Boo. Go for the eyes, Boo. <laughs> Two eyes. I always remember. Go for go for the eyes. 
<laughs> yeah, you can be a paladin. Okay, um, so I probably I probably did make a paladin. There we go. Confirmed. Yeah. They, um, they had a good like mix of you know like evil characters and good characters in in the usual D and D way. I mean, you, you still had to be a hero. Like you still had to. You only had one like you know set of adventures to follow, but you could be evil. You could not help people. You could steal their stuff after mm. killing the the bad guys. Uh, I tended to go stay away from that. So in in D and D RPGs, I tend to try and go for like chaotic good. Someone who helps people but isn't isn't like pushing the law too hard. Hmm. Um. Da, da, da. So da, 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 da. talk to me a bit more then about the story side of things, like uh, like how you found that. Anyway, the story wasn't that important to me. Um. Mm. So the the writing and the characters is very good, but the overall story. I actually can't tell you what what the like what the overall goal was. There was some, some terrible thing was happening and it's set in like next to Baldur's Gate is a city in their lore. And you had to I feel like there was like all the iron was gone bad, you know, something like that. But it that doesn't really matter. Like your end goal doesn't matter. It's your your immediate adventures. So oh we have to go clear out these rats is one of the first things you have to do, which is great. It's a classic RPG fodder. And, of course, you are some sort of fated, like, special person. You keep having dreams and special powers. Just mm. the, it's kind of a, a usual thing in RPGs nowadays. And you... I remember, I remember more about the characters you pick up along the way than the actual overarching story. That's, that's, that's actually a good point I sort of want to pick up on, because, the, uh, for those who don't know, obviously, um, Bioware were the developers of Baldur's Gate 1 um, and 2 I think as well yeah I think so um, and basically put um, I, I can certainly attest this speaking from experience at least with Mass Effect and you'll have heard that earlier in the season with um, Mass Effect 3 with um, Aoife O'Friel of Ubisoft Massive um, Bioware 10 do write some absolutely fantastic characters in their games, whether that is you know, Baldur's Gate, or even now with recent things like Mass Effect or Dragon Age, etc. Yep, yep. Um, so, talk to me about that then, like how the sort of characters stuck with you anyway. Yeah, um, it's definitely the more memorable side of the writing is the people, and particularly the companions, so not really like your your enemies but like the people you're adventuring with and they always had a really good thing and Baldur's Gate like this first Baldur's Gate was early in their in their like arc of making these kinds of games but already you could chat to your companions have like long conversations with them go on special quests to help them with something and become better friends I don't think there was romance in Baldur's Gate the way you would have in, in Mass Effect and Dragon Age. I don't remember that. I think what stands out for me is how Bioware seems to have evolved as a developer since since Baldur's Gate 3 and how since then a lot of studios that are sort of taking 
stuff from them and putting it into their games. And funny enough, you mentioned how romance isn't an option in Baldur's Gate and all that there. It's interesting to sort of pick back on Bioware making the original Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 and then what's happening with the recent Bioware games like Mass Effect and Dragon Age and how those games are like how romance is a core pillar to stories of those games, the characters of those games and how Imagine if they put out a game in now that had companions but not romance. There'd be outcry. <laughs> exactly. But like where's my romance option? Yeah. I want my romance option. So like Dragon's um, Age, which was a really nice game, I liked the Dragon's Age, several of them. Like the romance is very much part of the game. And like like a big part of the game and a good part of the game. In a way it's why why you put up with the characters or why you, you pick the characters you want to adventure with. It was very different when I first played Baldur's Gate. It was very much much more mechanical. Like, oh, okay, what's their stats? Do I want them? Or what's their what's their class? Will that fit? And much less about, do I want to romance them? Did you prefer the, the sort of aspect of companions in that they were more... How do I word this? Did you prefer them much more in the mechanical sense and that they would help you more in the gameplay sense than they were more of a narrative cannon fodder as they more or less are now. Even though there are companions in these games like Mass Effect uh, in particular and Dragon Age that do help you in, in the gameplay side of things but they're now sort of, it's sort of half gameplay, half story. Yeah. Um, because they used the D&D second, like AD&D second edition which was quite a brutal rule set. I think to do well on it, you needed to min-max. So you needed to pick out your, your party of six with like the right kinds of classes. Make sure you had you know, a tank, a high armor class, or a well-buffed character. Make sure you had a wizard. Um, there were a few things you had, to, you had to have to kind of, I guess, cheese some encounters or, or get through things. Um, yeah, so from that point of view, and at that time, I was very much into, oh, how will these fit in? Like, how can I abuse the, this class's specialties, and how can I fit them in my party? Um, and I remember at the time, one nice thing is, it was a very long game, and you'd be getting new companions throughout. So you could be playing for, you know, 15, 20 hours, and you'd still be getting new characters, and you'd be choosing to fit them into your party of six which meant you had to kick someone out like at least temporarily to try them out and that was still good like it kind of forced you to move things around a bit um the thing i sort of want to piggyback off as as well something i was uh, alluding to earlier is the fact that bioware you know making Baldur's gate one two and now making games like mass effect and dragon age with all these sort of romance options and to sort of bring it back full circle, Baldur's Gate 3, it now has romance options. Yeah, it has to. It, they ju it's just kind of like the, the bar you're going to meet for a big party-based RPG with recruitable companions. You, you've got to do it. Mm. So like Pillars of Eternity, Dragon Age games, yep, Baldur's Gate 3, um... The new Pathfinder games. There's two Pathfinder games. Kingmaker and... Oh, I can't remember the name of the other one. More recent one only came out a few months ago. 
they're actually really similar to like a, a modern Baldur's Gate. Um, they use the the Pathfinder rule set, which is I don't know D and D third or fourth ed forked basically. So they're they're really similar to that old D, old feel of D and D. Um, yeah, all of them I think nowadays. Romance is part of the the companion like tool set. Hmm. Um, speaking of companions, what what was your favorite companion from the game? Uh, definitely, I already talked to him, but Minsk with his oh yeah, you did with say, his yes. with his space hamster. So he called it a miniature space hamster, but it was clearly just a normal hamster. Boo, go for the eyes. He's great. <laughs> That's right. There was another guy. <laughs> there was an evil mage you recruited early on, so you always got him because your your party wasn't like at six yet, so you weren't making any choice about kicking anyone out yet. And I, mm. I remember, and you know, depending who you were clicking and telling them just to move across the map, they would say stuff. And I think he he say stuff like "life is disappointment" and "life is pain." He was just really mo- like morbid. <laughs> so his his voice lines always stuck with me as well. Life sucks. Yeah, basically. And you die. <laughs> You're meant they to be a hero. Old, they give that old sort of Vinnie Mac charm to it. Um, so, da, 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 da. okay. So, gameplay side of things, like, delve into that a little bit of how you found that. Anyway, obviously, it's sort of built, it was built around sort of the second ad of uh, AD&D, but, like, like in the, in terms of and the, the nitty gritty anyway, yeah, how the, did you find it? The game itself was isometric viewpoint. You had six six characters, and it was real time with pause, which is pretty popular. You know, the Dragon Age games used real time with pause. Um, yeah, but, definitely did anyway. Yeah, but under the hood, it was actually turn based, so it was it was showing you one, two, three, four, five, six seconds went by. And then it actually rolled the dice because the rounds are in D&D are six seconds and it would roll the dice for your attack. So it was like under the hood, fully turn-based and fully faithful to like the turns, the rounds of, of Dungeons and Dragons. So the pause was just there to essentially let your characters just fight if you didn't want to do turn by turn. Um, and in terms of more modern games, so like um, the Pathfinder games that I mentioned, they they now ship with like fully turn based, and it's actually much better. Like that that kind of D and D, if it's not pretending to be real time, is actually better. Um, the Divinity games and now Baldur's Gate three, all the combat's turn based, and it, it 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 suits the the rule set better, not to not to hide it basically. But yeah, that was the gameplay. So you'd you know you'd wander around maps and you'd be exploring and finding monsters and fighting them and uh you know pausing the game aiming your fireball or else if they're you know less tough monsters just kind of letting your your auto attacks happen um all using the D rule set so um trying to maximize your to hit and your damage and weapon for proficiencies there was a very nice feeling of finding loot Nothing was randomized, so once you really knew the game, you could, I remember that you could like quite quite near the start of the game walk to a particular bit of the map that was quite near you and just look in a tree stump and find like really good armor that was always there. So, you know, I really like that side of things, 
finding pre-made stuff. So at the end of a particular like hard encounter, there's always this particular, you know, magic sword or or you know boots boots of haste or something, and that that was always a, like a fun experience for me is finding loot, and then fitting that onto your character somewhere. Hmm. Um. When you're playing a, an RPG today, now, like, say, a Final Fantasy, a Dragon Age, etc., like, what sort of playstyle do you sort of tend to, uh, do you still sort of prefer turn-based, or do you like sort of real-time sort of action these sort of combat, like you would sort of find something like Mass Effect, for example? Yeah, and, and the, like, Dragon Age Inquisition felt like real-time combat i think it was pausable but uh yeah, it was, yeah i certainly played through loads of it without thinking about pausing um it was more like your companions had an ai and you were running around hitting like dodging and rolling and stuff um and that was perfectly enjoyable but um playing through a really well crafted turn-based experience is still excellent the only downside is are you fighting combats over and over that you kind of can't lose and you have to slog through so as long as long as they've designed the game well enough that that isn't a, a constant problem so you're not going through these combats that you have to pay attention to but are a slog that yeah and, and the good the good the good games make sure that's not true you know they they vary the kind of encounters you're up against and keep keep you on your toes um i i definitely pick turn-based I, I am the sort of asshole who sort of prefers the sort of action, real-timey type thing. I, I am a heathen. Well, like, RPG massive. Diablo was, you know, only a few years before Baldur's Gate and, and spawned that whole side of, of RPGing. Mm. You know, running around, murdering stuff constantly, loot, randomized loot drops. You know, just a whole different fork of, uh, of gameplay. A different genre. Mm. Mm. I, like this isn't me saying oh I don't care for those types of games I definitely do I like Diablo 3 anyway um, but I am more I'm not a very patient person when it comes to time let's say and sort of and so having that sort of control in my hand of just sort of getting everything done hack and slash real time out of that sort of aspect that's the stuff that I really like in terms of mechanically in RPGs anyway that's just my sort of viewpoint anyway and I think that's why Baldur's Gate, the original, went with real-time of pause. I'd say they didn't think it was possible to market like a turn-based game back then. Um, but it's it's a pretend, you know, it's pretending to be real-time. It's it's very much the 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 way the dice rolls happen underneath. It's all it's all turn-based. Um. Da, da, da. So. In that regard, then, like, talk to me about how you found some of the quest design and some of the quests within the game, anyway. It's, you know, it's kind of, it's still a hack and slash game. So the quests are usually go there and murder that guy or go there and rescue someone, uh, mm. cl clear out a dungeon. Um, so standard RPG fare. I don't remember there being quests where you had different ways to achieve it, usually. So that that has definitely become a thing. Like if you look at the, say the Divinity, Original Sin two games, which has led to them making Baldur's Gate three now, um, and definitely Baldur's Gate three does it too, from what I've seen. 
they went down the road of yes let the player have different ways to achieve their goals so you can definitely talk your way into into a place or fight people or or sneak around and find a different way in or like in the divinity games there's almost too much player agency because there's really weird things you could do like um put loads of barrels in the way of your before you start to fight and it's a valid way to play um back then Baldur's gate did not have that level of complexity they there was some stuff where you could talk and sometimes you know roll for your stats to convince someone but it was pretty it was pretty light they did a lot more of that in their in their later games um but that kind of suited me. I, I quite like a, a hack and slash kind of game. If I'm if I'm playing an RPG, I'm quite happy not to have the level of complexity and choice that I see. Even in Baldur's Gate 3, it can be a bit overwhelming. It can be a bit too much. Well, you know, have I, have I done this optimally? And that can be negative for me to feel like, oh, maybe I'm playing wrong because there's too much choice. So in Baldur's Gate, it's probably true of many games in the 90s there wasn't that level of choice which meant there were only probably a couple of ways to play and the main one for that kind of game was combat so as long as i got really into the combat system then i was doing well um that kind of suits me what sort of rpgs sort of stand out for you in that regard then in terms of the sort of hack and slash aspect or the sort of real-time hacking or actually game gameplay in a way um so more modern like games that were definitely inspired by Baldur's Gate would be things like Pillars of Eternity made their own rule set which was a very nice rule set like different to D&D but in that same vein you still had strength and you know same kind of stats um, and the other one I've really enjoyed is the two Pathfinder games which use the Pathfinder rule set which is basically old D&D Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like you, you mentioned those earlier, but I mean specifically in terms of the the the, the sort of real time, not the sort of combat that you'd find in games like Mass, like like Mass Effect or Dragon Age, basically. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I've played Diablo three. It's great fun. That's action. Um, I've played say Dragon Age Inquisition. Felt like an action game. Um, MMOs even like Guild Wars has a, a kind of action facet to it that you're dodging and stuff. Um, Do you have time today to discuss our Lord and Savior Final Fantasy XIV, which has a 30-day free trial and <laughs> can play up to level 60, and you can play the main A Realm Reborn story as well as... Uh, what was it? What's the other one? What's the next one? Oh, the other, oh, fuck. At one point during the season, I am going to get this meme right, and I will get it right, right. <laughs> If you can send me a free demo, maybe I'll try it. Uh, it's out. Uh, there's a free trial. The last Final Fantasy I've played, I actually think is Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation 1. We're, so we did get, we got a PlayStation 1 around the time that I'd been playing Baldur's Gate. It was around that era, 2000-ish. And we got Final Fantasy VII. It was a really good game. It's so different. You know, it's so different, like, to to this like Baldur's Gate takes itself very seriously you're in a fantasy world and you're killing people to save save some other people you know Final Fantasy you're like like kids in weird outfits and this big hairy bearded man going on an adventure and 
halfway through your adventure, you stop everything because you have to like breed chocobos and race them. You know, like it's that madcap kind of feeling. And then, you know, the, the battle system is different, um, more JRPG style. Um, I haven't played many of them since. It's interesting that there's so many types of one genre. There's so many subgenres, basically. And so many good games in those subgenres. There's another game from around the era of Baldur's Gate that used the same engine called Icewind Dale, which I loved. That's also great. And the cool thing about that was it was like there were no companions. There was no real story. It was you got dropped into essentially a Baldur's Gate game and it said make six characters of your own. And then there's a whole load of big dungeons to explore. Go, go, like, clear them. So to me, it was like the, the, like, combat and looting only version of Baldur's Gate. And that's a lot of fun. I think there's space for modern games to do that. So, you know, uh, Pillars of Eternity now, when they make, you know, the first, their, their two games, they, they followed the, the formula. You know, it's a big campaign. You have a big overarching plot, you have companions, you explore the world, you get powerful, and maybe you'll romance them. I think there's space for a game that says no to all that, and just says, make your characters and go on a big dungeon crawl. I'd, I'd play more of those games. No, fair enough. Um, so, there was the expansion as well, for Baldur's Gate 1, uh, Tales of the Sword Coast. Yeah, my copy of the game came with it. So whenever I, oh. whenever I put... Baldur's Gate, it was actually like a combo version, Baldur's Gate and Tales of the Sword Coast. Um, it just added a few things. It added like kind of a, high, a few high level dungeons. It wasn't, it didn't change much, I think. Um, it did add some quality of life stuff that I just never, I never played the version of the game without them. So I think, I think it like, it made it really obvious when you were looting which items were magical. It made them like bright blue. And I'd say without that would have been really annoying. But that these were the days before patches. And then sort of delving uh, away from that a wee bit, um, Baldur's Gate 2. Why did you find that? Um, it was like an improved version of Baldur's Gate 1. I remember I remember by the end, of Bal uh, Baldur's Gate 2 like kind of went to a higher level. It started you at a higher level, and then you kind of went further in d and I remember by the end of that, you were casting like time stop. Like you're basically stopping time. For, for a little while um, so the power level was very high and that meant there's a lot of in Dungeons Dragons combat terms there's a lot of shenanigans that can go off so you'd go in to fight a boss and they'd have like triggers that as soon as you attack them like all these spells would go off to like give them protective buffs and stuff um, I think I prefer the first one just in terms of the low level fun so I like the I like the first few hours of an RPG more than the the 30, 40, 50 plus hours. I like the experimenting with new characters. I like experimenting with new builds more than getting, you know, getting them to late game. Why do you, why why is it that you think you like the first few hours of an RPG than say the overwhelming majority of no well, no, that's a bit disingenuous, but like what is it about those first few hours that makes it stand out more, let's say? I think I like character creation. So this kind of game gets a lot of 
stick for like you know you need to know too much about the rules to before you get to play because you you make a D&D character and you go through and you roll up stats and you pick a background and you like you do a lot of work before you get to play but I actually really like that side of things so for me I you know I, I mentioned Icewind Dale you have to make six different characters I love that because I'm it made me you know I get more options to mess with and then that first bit of play is kind of like validating that where you're you're saying okay I, I made this kind of like adventuring party is it any good is it fun am I finding cool equipment and leveling them up to make them better later on you're like it's at the mastery level where most of your strategy stays the same so the first few hours you're like ad adapting your strategy and figuring things out the later few hours you're like okay before combat let's say in something that uses D, D, before combat i need to cast bless on all my characters because that lasts a while and just as oh there's a hard combat i have to cast haste because that'll last a short while and it, it becomes a lot more rote so you, you have a system that's working for you and you need to stick to it. So I think that's why I prefer the the early phase of kind of figuring things out. And I'm guessing as well, sort of that experimentation also sort of helps play into it as well. For sure. And you know, different personality types are different things they find fun in games. So that, for me, the, the like learning and mastery is very fun. For others, it isn't. Um, so like playing board games, I actually like that first... Um, first game where you're trying to figure out the rules for me that's fun for others it's torture so I think I think that also feeds into that same feeling so so for some people the first few hours of playing a really um, you know hardcore RPG is a pain because they're trying to they don't know how the rules work yet and it's really awkward and difficult and then the later hours they're like finally feel familiar familiarity with all their different classes and abilities and they're finally having fun well, for me, that's the part where maybe it gets a little boring. Um, so, we can't talk Baldur's Gate 1 without mentioning the Enhanced, enhanced Edition that came out a few years ago, anyway, from uh, Beamdog. Like, did you play that? I played it on iPad. Mm. And I was shocked how bad it looked. Because <laughs> in my mind, it was this, like, amazing-looking, like, game. That's the, the sad reality of going back to play... Um, you know quite old games and it's not just the look of it it's also the the usability the interface usability we are spoiled nowadays all the games like just make things very very straightforward and easy to play back then everything was janky and you know there was no shared way to do things uh, among games among different games um so for example in the original Baldur's Gate you had like I don't know 20 little squares of inventory in each player in each like of your characters and that's how you carried stuff around I, I think that was still true in enhanced edition but it's kind of annoying so if you play pillars of eternity anytime you're looting stuff there's you can just say yeah all of this stuff just go into like just go into my like invisible place where i'm going to sell it when i go to the the merchant later and you don't even have to see it ever again you just get money for it later like that's just this lovely quality of life improvement so yeah um there's definitely the baggage of playing a an old style game if you're playing enhanced edition so yeah uh da, da, da. elephant in the room well it's not so much an elephant in the room but it's, it's 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 a big sort of part and parcel now um when talking about, about Baldur's gate um Baldur's gate free 
um, from Larian. Like, so again, I am pretty much an outsider to Baldur's Gate, but I am very much looking forward to seeing uh, Larian put out Baldur's Gate free out of early access because I really want to play it because I, I I've seen the footage of it so far and it looks fantastic. Are um, you avoiding it because it's I, early access? You're waiting till it's yeah, ready for release. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just sort of waiting until sort of everything's sort of ready to go in terms of a full release anyway. I, I've um, played a bit, but it's definitely now parked until until full release for me. Mm. Um, and and because I've I've heard so much critical acclaim with the Divinity games, like we are, we had Divinity Original Sin 2 as part of the Game of the Year special episode of my favourite game that came out back four years ago now as of recording this. Um and it got a lot of praise. Like, I have it sitting on Steam and maybe one of the consoles. I don't know if it's Xbox or PlayStation yeah, yeah. or Switch. Um, but I, I've played through both of those original scenes, and they are they are excellent. And Baldur's Gate 3 is definitely an evolution of that. Like, they're they're very much taking their, their system and their game and the way they make games to make Baldur's Gate 3. And it's very popular, very polished, very excellent turn-based games they use the Baldur's Gate 3 is using the newest edition of I think it's 5th edition of D&D faithfully they're still adding their spin to it with all their like way you can like throw barrels of acid around to put acid on the ground and then freeze it you know which were very much in their divinity games um, I think they're going to do a really good job they're, they're an impressive team I've I've I have a lot of high hopes for Baldur's Gate for you anyway, especially considering the pedigree of Larian. Uh, I'm definitely optimistic for what it's a, it's, the final version, the full release is going to be. It's a really good company to get Baldur's Gate. I have to say. Mm. Yeah, I I think they're doing a good job. Mm. Um, so what else do you like about Baldur's Gate One that we've not talked about tonight? Um, there's a there's a voice line. So it's it's kind of like this isometric view and it's kind of like region based like each point on the map is like I don't know I don't know 10 by 5 screens like of movable space that you can walk around and then you have to like move between maps and when you try and transition between maps your your characters actually have to all walk over to that point and if one of them is like wearing the boots of haste, which I think you get at a certain point, they run at like twice the speed. Um, so over and over, you hear the line, this voice line pops up that says, you must gather your party before venturing forth. And that's a really memorable line for me. So I see that in like, it's like referenced as a joke now in more modern games. You must gather your party. They had a, they had an AI I can't remember if this was more in Baldur's Gate 2 or not. But basically, because it was real-time with pause, you could also tell your, your, your party to be like, oh, like, uh, attack anything you see and chase them forever, or attack anything that's attacking you only, or do nothing. And I can't remember now if it was in Baldur's Gate 2 that they improved on that, and you could actually go in and go, oh, no, you should cast this spell at the start of combat and then go fight people or use your, use your ranged weapon. And it meant you could play more like a, like a Dragon Age where you're not micromanaging every character. So what didn't you like 
about bows to get one. You had to change CDs as you got to different parts of the game. So it was on, it's on like five CD-ROMs. And at certain parts of the game, you have to put in the other CD-ROM. Because back then, uh, you couldn't install like five CD-ROMs worth of game on your computers. It actually needed all that data on CD-ROMs, like that they were big storage media for the day. So that mm. would be, that's a thought. Like if we had to switch discs mid-game right now, people don't know how how great it is nowadays uh no patches so if there was a bug or a problem good luck i mean but these these are problems of any game of the day um ballard's gate itself i had a problem it's kind of like uh it's a long game but like maybe when you're 20 hours in you finally get to Baldur's gate the city and i really didn't like that part of the game it no longer felt like you had one thing to do. Instead, it kind of felt like you had to go into every little house and talk to everyone and find out more things. And I, I felt like it was too much, like too, too many things to do. Because I'm a, I'm a completionist, so I, I want to go and look in every house and and do it all. And I felt when you arrived in the end game, I'd rather, if, I'd have much rather if it was more on on rails or more, a little more narrow. And and their their map system didn't work great for for like exploring that city because they just like cut it on like exact lines to fit their their resolution rather than like more more uh, uh, like better regions. So I do remember in Baldur's Gate two when you went to the city, it was like okay, you're you're in the docks, look around the docks. Oh, and then travel to like I don't know the merchants' quarter or something. That was much more sensible, and that's much more the way like modern RPGs do it. Well, Baldur's Gate 1 in the city, you'd basically just kind of walk east and appear in the next, like, exact same kind of space, and there'd be stuff there. And it didn't work as well. Um, what would you change from a design perspective, then? Um, definitely now, Baldur's Gate would work better if you actually went full-on with turn-based combat. So if you think of Divinity Original Sin 1 had turn-based combat, like led with turn-based combat, and it was really strong for it. Like it lent into the turn-based combat. The turn-based combat was fun. It wasn't a slog. It wasn't slow. It was all optimized. The fights were, were over quick enough, and then you just, you know, walked around a map. You didn't. It wasn't turn-based in between fights. Uh, you could definitely do that with Baldur's Gate now. That would be a big improvement. And if you look at, like, really spiritual successors, like the new... Kingmaker, Kingmaker, uh, not Kingmaker, Pathfinder um, game that just launched. That that launched with a turn-based option, and that's it's a really superior way to play it. Um, yeah, so I think leaning into that side of things, so like leaning into the things that like make the mechanics better. So you're you're playing D and D, which is naturally turn-based. Um, I like dungeon crawls so i like when you go down into a you know a big sprawling multi-level dungeon um and baldur's gate was pretty good for that there were quite a few um but i'd much prefer them than the kind of over overland maps the nice thing is if if you really like baldur's gate like i do you don't you don't need to play baldur's gate anymore there's better games that are like spiritual successors to it like, would you not even say the enhanced edition would come recommended in that regard? Then, I mean, it's it's very faithful, and so it's still got all the 
the mm, awkwardness of playing a game from from 20 years ago even the even the enhanced version so it's interesting for me as a nostalgia kick but i think for a new player no i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend it i'd recommend other games instead like like pillars of eternity divinity original sin or the pathfinder games definitely that's an interesting way to put it yeah so i i love it but it's 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 a game of its time as well so I think the same is true. Like if if we get to talk about my second favorite game is XCOM. Mm. And again, I wouldn't recommend anyone play the like mid nineties XCOMs because mm. there's so much better recent ones that distill the gameplay and make it much less frustrating to play through while still getting the nice mm. feelings of like tactical square based combat. Uh, like like I'm guessing like uh the XCOM games that have come out over the past 10 years yeah for yeah yeah and jake solomon definitely yeah they're really excellent really good they are they are fantastic games can't 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 quite preach them enough basically yep um and we'll get we'll get the honorable mentions in a moment um top three Baldur's gate games what would they be one at the top but how would you rank the rest of the series and this is bearing in mind one Baldur's Gate 3 isn't out yet and two I am going to allow for the Dark Alliance games if you have any of them so I haven't played Dark Alliance kind of action action RPG I believe it is so I can't rank that well um okay well I'll I'll rank one as my favourite because it it kind of like landed in my life at a time when it seemed like there was no other game like this Three is very impressive from what I've played so far. I'll probably throw that in next, just because it's a modern game. Like again, distilling the feeling, but not being overly faithful to the mechanics, like the the interface or anything like that. None of, none of that is present in three. Uh, and, and this and this probably is again worth noting the caveat that Baldur's Gate Three is still in early access. Yeah, but it's you know. They did this before with their Divinity games. It's a very playable early access. Mm. You know, it's not a it's not a janky half game or prototype. It's mm. just a little less content. Um, yeah, which unfortunately leaves Baldur's Gate two a little behind. Um, we can throw in Neverwinter Nights there. It's kind of a, a spiritual sequel to Baldur's Gate. It had it 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 had like. Uh, <laughs> like player mods you could have servers and you could run your own like mini mmo basically which is pretty interesting i find that very interesting and again used use the full dnd rule set gonna throw that in there as well Yes, honorable mentions. Go for it. So, big honorable mention. I just brought it up there. Was the 
It's actually not the original XCOM. So, XCOM UFO Unknown was like 1993. The game I yeah, the game I played came out like the very next year. Was called Terror from the Deep, XCOM Terror from the Deep, and it was the exact same game except underwater. Pretty much. So it's a bit like, like the patched version of XCOM with a very slightly different setting. You were underwater and shooting harpoon guns instead of rifles, but it was very much almost exactly the same game and that was the game i don't you know that was just the game we happened to get we had terror from the deep and i played the hell out of it and it's a really good game um and similarly to baldur's gate i wouldn't i wouldn't want to play it now um it's you know it's a, a game of the 90s games are made better now they're much more playable much more friendly to your time so i do remember things like you couldn't find the last alien. You were like on a giant cruise ship. You've spent the first half hour murdering all the aliens. And then the second half hour looking through all these tiny little cabins to find one who's like stuck there and he's not coming out to find you. Um, but a brilliant game nonetheless. And like the modern XCOMs capture this, but like it came up with that idea of like you send in 10 guys and half of them are going to die and that's okay. And like, you know, you'd shoot down like this UFO ship and then you'd land beside it in the one I was playing on the sea floor. And then you'd send your like little guys to approach it. And then you're like kind of looking at the door and you know, there's aliens in there kind of on overwatch, but you still have to send someone in. Someone has to open the door and get shot. Hmm. That was a very fun moment. Hmm. And I had a lovely power thing. So you, you did good research and you got to like, you know, you started the game shooting harpoon guns at like crab creatures. And at the end of the game, you had like flying suits and like using the alien's weapons against them. So it was a nice, nice power fantasy there of like, by the end game, you felt like you were crushing them. You know, I mentioned Elite earlier on the spectrum. So a 90s PC game that I really loved was Privateer which is basically just a slightly more modern elite. You were you were flying a spaceship around galaxies and you were like trading or doing some piracy or doing some missions. It just captured it very well. Upgrading your ship. Yeah, really cool game. I have one more 90s game. Syndicate. Do you ever play that? Uh, Not the Bullfrog version. Yeah. I've definitely played the Starbreeze FPS version. <laughs> I can't imagine what that's like. So the the Bullfrog it's, it's, original... It's, it's, it's very uniquely difficult. Okay. Like that. I have a soft spot for it. Okay. Like, it's very, very massively different from what uh, Bullfrog put it. Anyway. So the, the 90s syndicate was like this weird but cool like isometric game where you sent out agents and you had missions and you sort of took control of them and you were shooting like guns at people and it just had really cool music and a really cool like weird futuristic setting with hover cars and stuff um it was this very very unique game so i've picked loads of 90s games and i play loads of games now like i play games for you know for homework for my like learning like about what games are out there and i play games for fun and i enjoy loads of games 
but I do not get into games the way I used to. You know, I'm 41 now. I play games for entertainment, but I don't, no longer get into games in like a obsessive way. I think, and I've at my fingertips, I've way too many games. Back when I was, you know, 15 to 20, there, you know, you couldn't get digital games yet, for me, and I got less of them, for money reasons. So you'd kind of pick games more carefully, and then you would devote a lot of time to them. And that that's definitely not true anymore for me. So I can dip in and out of games, try them, kind of play them for a bit, and then drop them. What was the last game that you sort of dedicated a real significant amount of time to, anyway, in terms of recent games, anyway? Um, I think I almost finished Pillars of Eternity 2. That must be from four or five years ago. Um, I've dipped into some, like, non-single-player games as well, like Apex Legends is like a Battle Royale game. It's just really well polished and that's good fun. I'll jump into that now and again. Going back ages ago, when Minecraft first started, I spent a lot of time playing Minecraft, which is funny because you're sort of playing to no one back then. You're playing in your own little world and making stuff pointlessly, like not getting to show it to anyone. It's been a while since I've played that. Probably works differently now. No, fair enough. I mean, like you said it yourself, the, the sort of takeaway I'm getting from all of this is that there's a lot of love more for 90s games. Anyways, not not to say that there isn't a lot of love for you know, games of modern times, anyway, but like the 90s stuff more stays with you a lot more than anything else as of late, anyway. Yeah, for sure. I guess that's just a factor of you know, the age I was then. Top three games ever. What would they be? Obviously, Baldur's get one of the top, but what would be two and three? Uh, XCOM Terror from the Deep would be, would be number two. Um, then maybe, because we were talking about it, and it's very similar to Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter Nights. Mm. I, I did spend a lot of time with that when that came out. Or, or possibly something like Morrowind. Ah, yes, you mentioned yeah, Morrowind yeah. before we started. Yeah, like going to that a little bit. So Morrowind is much more like... Uh, action RPG um, yeah. and very interesting in that you you have no class you know you can do anything you want you can go anywhere you want in the world and just do fun stuff um, yeah that was a groundbreaking game as well like that's probably a lot of people's favorite game of all time um, yeah really cool game so I, I remember buying that game Morrowind for PC and having this box with said Morrowind on it and had CD-ROMs in it before I had a PC that could actually play it so I was just kind of, I don't know, very excited to own it, but not able to play it. Just It's just sitting there teasing you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and that, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, the, the pace of needing like computers to play PC games uh, kind of isn't, isn't the way it used to be. Hmm. Have you played... Um any of the Elder Scrolls games since, even just a little bit, like Oblivion or Skyrim. Yeah, Skyrim is excellent. Like Skyrim mm. and Oblivion, they were both good. And Skyrim in particular, like, solved a lot of the problems with the other other ones. And there's a reason that uh, keeps getting, like, updated and still getting played. Yeah, mm. yeah, Skyrim, Skyrim is, like, the best of that series. Yeah, I, I played both of them thanks to, you know, having loved Morrowind. Um, they're funny, though, because you can do anything... Again, this is me being a completionist. You know, you'll travel over to a new town and then you'll have a thousand new quests. That that can be a bit of a drag. Mm. 
sometimes I want less to do, like less, less tasks. That, that's led to some design decisions in my own work. Mm. Much less open-ended, much more session-based and simpler. Well, would it be fair to say these sort of decisions help sort of lean to having provide the player a more sort of what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like streamlined experience. Yeah, a more sort of time-friendly experience. Very much well. so. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. That's a a definite concern in the games we make. Is is your time is valuable spend it well definitely yeah because because i feel because i feel that too you know i'm not i'm not 1920 anymore um i don't get as much time to game so i want it to be well spent to be to be having fun and and also not to have to remember everything and this is where like actually the modern Baldur's gate 3 and the divinity games would have this problem if you play them like for 10 hours in a row, you're having a great time. And then you put it down and you come back a month later. Oh, it's, it's painful. You can't remember, you know, you're like, okay, I can do a fight here. But then, you know, you're looking at this new magical sword that the monster dropped and you, you don't know if it's good or not. You don't know if it suits any of your characters. You have to learn so much again of the like systems and, and where you're like, it, you were kind of fitting into those systems. So th those games can be really hard to get back into. Mm. And that's that's something I we tried to to work around by having kind of more more ses session based games where you can kind of do a run kind of kind of leading into roguelike stuff. You don't need to keep track mm. of too much. Everything resets. Mm. And that's certainly true for our first game, Gilded Gilded Engineering. Mm. And and especially as well, considering how precious time seems to be now, more as a commodity and currency, especially during the middle of a pandemic, anyway. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there's a lot of games that are more like hobbies than than games. Mm. If you take even Apex Legends that I mentioned, um, but like you know, League of Legends or any games like that where really to play them you're not just saying I'm going to play once you're saying I'm going to dedicate some time to this over the next longer period and it's also true of you know MMOs like World of Warcraft you, you know you were dedicating a longer time to a game Well, we've just launched a remake of Gilded Engineering called Gilded Engineering Ultimate Edition. So if anyone wants to check that out, it's on Steam, it's on Epic, and it's on GOG. And it's a game where you don't control your hero directly, you build a dungeon around them. And it's super fun, and it has short sessions. It looks like you're drawing an old D&D map. Um, and it's kind of cool because like in combat, it's sort of like a little deck builder. 
Um, the original, we, we launched the game first in 2015 and we just launched the Ultimate Edition at the end of 2021. And it's interesting because in the meantime, uh, in those years, uh, Slay the Spire came out and was immensely popular and is a deck builder, a, a thing where you add add attacks to your deck as you, as you progress. Um, so it's interesting now, new players will find our game and say, oh, you're just, you know, you're doing Slate the Spire for your combat system. Um, but, uh, you know, our combat system predates Slate the Spire. <laughs> so it's a funny one. Yeah, so uh, check that out and look up our other game if you like, Cardpocalypse. It's a trading card game that's actually just a, a single player RPG. So there's a, a collectible card game you play, but it's all single player. It's no multiplayer. Um, that's fun too. That's on consoles as well as all the usual PC places. I'm on Twitter at, at @gambernus. Um Yeah, that's the main place to find us. Or if you search up for our Discord server, if you search up Gambrinus on Discord, that's uh, our little community. Thanks for listening to My Favourite Game, a podcast by PlayDiaries.com where people from the games industry come on to talk of their favourite game. If you want to listen to future episodes of My Favourite Game, as well as press play before they go live publicly on PlayDiaries and other podcast platforms, please consider becoming a $2 tier podcast early access patron to our Patreon at patreon.com slash playdiaries. Next week, they could on Time Splitters. Future Perfect. Until next week, bye-bye.